0: Good morning, everybody. We're reading from um, Philippians today, Philippians chapter 2, verses 1 to 8, and that's in page 831 in your church Bibles. So let's just read together. If you have any encouragement from being united with Christ, if any comfort from his love, if any fellowship with the Spirit, if any tenderness and compassion, then make my joy complete by being like-minded, having the same love being one in spirit and purpose. Do nothing out of selfish ambition or vain conceit, but in humility consider others better than yourselves. Each of you should look not only to your own interests, but also to the interests of others. Your attitude should be the same as that of Christ Jesus, who, being in very nature God, did not consider himself equality with God, something to be grasped, And every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord, to the glory of God the Father. Therefore, my dear friends, as you have always obeyed, not only in my presence, but now much more in my absence, continue to work out your salvation with fear and trembling, for it is God who works in you to will and to act according to his good purpose. Do everything without complaining or arguing so that you may become blameless and pure children of God without fault in a crooked and depraved generation in which you shine like stars in the universe as you hold out the word of life in order that I may boast on the day of Christ that I did not run or labor for nothing. But even if I am being poured out like a drink offering on the sacrifice and service coming from your faith, I am glad and rejoice with all of, all of you, so you too should be glad and rejoice with me.
1: Hello again everyone, uh, my name is Scott, it's really good to be with you this morning. Are you an English person or a maths kind of person? Which one is it? English people, give us a wave. Maths kind of people, give us a wave. The smart ones are one of us who, who, who really go neither. Yeah? No. Uh, when I was in high school, I was thoroughly a maths person. I thought maths was great. English was just, just too subjective, too airy-fairy. I didn't get great marks, and I didn't really feel like anyone could tell me why I didn't get great marks. Maths, on the other hand, oh, it was something I could understand. If I got an answer wrong, y- y- the teacher could look back to my working and say, that's where did you put the wrong equation in there. Two times three does not equal eight, it equals six. Uh, so for me, maths was a much more simple life than English. So I thought at the end of high school then, I'd apply to university to see if they'd teach me how to be a maths teacher. I applied, they said yes, come down, I said great. I took a year off though, took a gap year in between, and then I went off to uni and realised very quickly that in my gap year, I had forgotten everything about maths. I think I expected maybe the first five or six, maybe even seven weeks to be... All of, just basically a recap of year 12. But the recap of year 12 lasted about 30 minutes. And then it was on to new stuff. And very quickly, I realized I was out of my depth. I couldn't do it. And it was all too hard. So I changed, and I became a primary school teacher. Have you ever had one of those experiences in your life where something is, is just too hard... Thought that about the Christian life. Not that you want to give up on being a Christian, but Christian life, Christian living, it's just, it's hard. And constantly the Bible's saying, live this way. And you can look and you can see that that's a good thing. It's appealing to live that way, but it's very hard. You've tried, and in the past, you've been eager to do what the Bible says. You want to see change, you've tried to make it happen. But it just hasn't. It's a struggle. Change in your life is, is slow or non-existent. It's not that you've given up on Jesus. Far from it. But really, you just don't think that you could change anymore. You still read the Bible, but there are parts you kind of just skip over because, well, you know what it's going to say to change your life And you just don't think you can. It's too hard. After reading today's passage, maybe you felt that as well. Today's passage has some really strong challenges in it. In humility, value others above yourself. Do everything without grumbling or arguing. I don't know about you, but for me, if I was going to do that, that would mean massive change in my life. Huge might be thinking i'm about to start talking on this passage and who really wants just another rousing speech trying to get me into action telling me to pull up my socks just a bit more again and again who wants that when tomorrow i'm going to wake up and i'm still the same me i'm still struggling to make the littlest change in my life so how can this big change ever happen it's too hard The Bible passage we just read is part of a letter from the Apostle Paul to the Philippian church. This is a church that, in many ways, is in great danger. From the outside, they're facing strong opposition. And from the inside, there's lots of issues as well. There's an ongoing disagreement, which means there's a real threat of complete division within the church. And to this church, facing the pressure from the outside, facing the division from inside... Paul has just said at the end of chapter 1, live in a manner worthy of the gospel of Christ. It's not hard to imagine the Philippians just kind of throwing their hands up in the air. How do we do it? It's all just too hard. And that's where Paul goes. When it all might seem too hard, Paul tells the church, Have your eyes fixed on Jesus. Let Jesus shape you. In your mind, in your life, be shaped by Jesus. That's what we're going to look at in a moment. Before we get there, it's going to be good for us to pray and ask God to help us as we do this. Let's pray together. Our great God in heaven, we're so thankful to you for the good things you do for us. Sometimes the Christian life, though, can seem hard, challenging, difficult. For some of us, change seems like an impossibility. So we wanted to ask you today now, as we read your word and think about it, Father, please would you help us see Jesus more clearly? Please would you help us no longer to rely on ourselves, but to have our minds set on him. Please show us how we can change, and please change us, we ask. In Jesus' name, amen. There's two points I want to make today. And the first one is this. Be shaped by Jesus. Share his mindset of humility. Chapter 2 starts by reminding the Philippian church about their experience of being a Christian. Uh, they have unity with Christ. They've experienced Jesus' love. Basically, what Paul is doing here, he's asking the Philippians if, they, if they've felt the reality of belonging to Jesus, felt the reality of being Jesus' people. If you've experienced this in your life, Paul's saying, then think differently. Think differently. Look at verse 2. Make my joy complete by being like-minded, having the same love, being one in spirit and of one mind. Paul's telling the Philippian church here to be united together. It's it's being like-minded, having the same love, being one in spirit, one mind. It's all about unity, being together. And that unity starts with the mind. It starts in the way we think. It's being like-minded, being of the one mind If the Philippians are going to be united together, it it, it must affect their thinking. Before they do anything, they need to have a a mindset of unity. And then Paul goes on to say this unity comes about through humility. Look at verse 3. Do nothing out of selfish ambition or vain conceit. Rather, in humility, value others above yourselves not looking to your own interest, but each of you to the interests of the others. It's about humility. There's two sets of pairs there. The first one, not selfish, ambition or vain conceit, but valuing others above yourself. Second one, not looking out to your own interests, but looking to the interests of the others. Each pair demonstrates the key thing about humility. It's not about me, it's about you. Not my ambition or my interests, but what you value, and your interests. That's true humility. One Bible commentator said this. He said, The true obstacle to unity is not the presence of legitimate differences of opinion, but self-centeredness. Unity through humility, being united through humility, means I'm not thinking first about me, I'm thinking first about you. This is the exact opposite of the warning you get on the planes, isn't it? You, know, you jump on a plane, and there's a, uh, all the safety warnings. And what's the warning about the, when the oxygen masks come down? What do you have to do? Put your own on first. And then you can help other people. And that's right. There's, of course, there's a reason why, we, why they ask us to do that. But in life, that's just the way we think normally, isn't it? I look after me first... And if there's something left over, then I can help out you as well. And Paul is not saying here to completely neglect ourselves, but he's saying there needs to be a total overhaul of where our priorities lie. No longer does my mind go first to me and my needs. Now my mind goes first to you, to to your interests, to what's good for you. Here's another quote. I think it captures it well. This virtue that Paul's talking about, this virtue is called humble-mindedness. Because it's a humbling of the mind. In my mind, I'm thinking you first, me second. This is what Paul is telling the Philippian church. He says to them, if you've experienced what it's like to be a Christian, if you know what it's like to belong to Jesus, then humble your minds there's all this opposition outside of you, but inside, don't divide. Be humble-minded towards each other. Now, this is all easy enough to understand, isn't it? It's not, it's not difficult to, to think about, but it's actually it's much harder to put into practice, isn't it? It seems so natural for me to think of me first. And so I can read this and I can think, you know, that's all well and good. It looks nice. It sounds lovely. But it just seems so far from reality, doesn't it? How do I ever change to be like that? I'm never going to get there. Maybe this is something that the super spiritual people amongst us might be able to do. But not me. It's just too hard. Do you feel like that sometimes? Jesus changes everything. This appeal to unity through humility, it's not some kind of random thing that Paul just decided, or oh, the Philippians should do this. It's, it's tied, it's intrinsically tied to the gospel, to who Jesus is and to what Jesus has done. So look at verse 5. In your relationships with one another, have the same mindset as Jesus Christ. Everything that Paul has just said about being humble-minded, all of it can be seen in Jesus. In the mindset of Jesus. So as we read the next few verses, look out for what it says about Jesus' humility. Okay, we're going to go on. We're going to keep reading from verse 6, talking about Jesus Christ, who being in very nature God, did not consider equality with God something to be used to his own advantage. Rather, he made himself nothing by taking the very nature of a servant, being made in human likeness. And being found in appearance as a man, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to death, even death on a cross. You can see the humble-mindedness of Jesus here, can't you? He is the one who in very nature, in his own nature, is God. God. He has the riches, the glories of heaven in his hand. And yet he gives it up. He doesn't think that this is something that he should hold on to for his own advantage. So he empties himself. It's not that he stops being God. But now he no longer has the glory that belongs to him. He becomes a human. The God of all glory becomes a, a servant. That's a big step of humility. But that's not the end of it either. Jesus steps down again. He goes further. Jesus goes all the way to death. And not just any old death, but death on a cross. The ultimate humiliation. Jesus gives up the riches and glory of heaven for the shame and utter humiliation of the cross. If you're here today and you're not really convinced of the whole Jesus thing, really this is all I want you to see. is Jesus. Look at Jesus who empties himself for you. Who values your needs above his. Look to Jesus. And when you see Jesus there, Isn't that someone that you can trust? If Jesus is ready to give up all that he is for you, can't you trust him? They say that nostalgia sells. Nostalgia sells. So that's why we're having reboots of lots of old TV programs and old movies and old bands getting back together. But there is one thing from the 90s that I'm pretty sure is never going to make a reappearance again. These. Do you remember these? Some of you do. I can see some giggles. These are the WWJD bracelets. They're, what would Jesus do? they were invented by a youth leader in America. Uh, he he uh, wanted his teenagers to live out what it meant to belong to Jesus. He wanted them to live like Jesus, so he made these bracelets and gave them to all the kids in his youth group, and it kind of exploded. All over the world, suddenly, these bracelets were being sold in Christian bookshops and whatnot, everywhere. WWJD, what would Jesus do? Our passage poses a slightly different question. It's not asking, what would Jesus do? It's asking, what did Jesus do? WDJD. See, there's no question about what Jesus did, is there? His mindset was humility. He totally humbled himself. His first thought was for us. And it's only when we know Jesus and see Jesus clearly like that, it's only then can we be humble-minded ourselves. See, this passage is talking about Primarily about Christian relationships. Where do we have Christian relationships? Obviously at church here. So when is it hard to have this mindset at church? Well, it's hard, isn't it, when I feel like someone has wronged me. It's hard to have this mindset to value others above myself when someone has wronged me at church. Or when I hear that someone has said something bad about me. We're in a church. It's not like these things don't happen, though. I find it hard to put someone else above me when I just don't get along with them, or when that couple just kind of rubs me in the wrong way. What about in the home, if you're part of a Christian home? When do you find this hard? It's when the kids just get on my nerves, or when, when my spouse just gets on my nerve. That's when it's hard for me to think about their interests above my own, isn't it? that's when it's hard to value them more than me. But you see what the bible is telling us here? It's putting Jesus in front of our eyes. When I come to the foot of the cross, when I put myself at at my savior's feet, when when it's clear in my mind that the one who hung on the cross for me is the lord of the universe at that moment then when i had that bigger picture of jesus when i had that truer picture of jesus that's when my issues become smaller isn't it they don't disappear and it's not suddenly it's just that it's easy to get along with everyone But when the gospel is big, when Jesus is big in my mind, that's when it becomes possible for me to think of you first. Because I know that Jesus has thought of me first. So, be shaped by Jesus. Have his mindset of humility. That's the first point. And the second point is like it. Be shaped by Jesus. Share his lifestyle of obedience. In verse 12, Paul recounts how in the past the Philippians have been obedient, and he urges them, keep doing that, keep growing in your obedience. So look at verse 12. Therefore, my dear friends, as he's always obeyed, not only in my presence, but now much more in my absence, continue to work out your salvation with fear and trembling. For many of us, our ears prick up at this. don't Because we're so used to the idea... That we don't do good things to be saved. We don't work for our salvation. And, and here, it nearly sounds like that's what Paul is saying. Nearly. But he doesn't say work for your salvation. He says work out your salvation. That is, live out your salvation. Live lives that are in step with, with Jesus. Live lives that are in step with what Jesus has done for you. And do this with fear and trembling, not in the sense that maybe you'll lose your salvation, that's why you're scared. But there's a seriousness about all of this, isn't there? There's a seriousness about the Christian life. So, live out your salvation, knowing the importance of what you're doing. That's a pretty general thing to say, to keep growing in obedience. But then Paul goes on to the specific thing in verse 14. Verse 14, do everything without grumbling or arguing. Now, grumbling and arguing, they might seem like you know, small things here. He's just had this great big call to obedience, to keep growing in obedience, and then he goes to little things like grumbling and arguing. But actually, for the Philippians, these are very big Paul's concern is that their grumbling and arguing is a part of something much bigger than just that. So there's these internal divisions within the church. And, and internal divisions only get fueled by grumbling. Internal divisions only get fueled by arguments. So Paul's worried that, that all his work among these people might be for nothing. He's worried that they're, they're on the process, they're on the road of giving up Jesus completely he doesn't want that. He wants the Philippians to be united together. Not to grumble, not to argue, but to be children of God. To shine like stars, to be different. To hold on to the word of God which brings life to them. That's what he wants. Which means you've got to give up the grumbling and arguing. You've got to stop fueling the internal divisions. This is a a huge, this is a central part of obedience for the Philippians. And again, for us, it's not hard to understand what this means, is it? It, The idea of not grumbling, not arguing, we can understand that. The idea of growing in our obedience to to God, we can understand that. It's easy. But again, it's far harder to live out, isn't it? Maybe even too hard, because look again at verse 14. He says, "...do everything without grumbling or arguing." everything it's so easy to read this and think it's just too hard even if I try I know I'll never get there I've been a Christian for however many years and grumbling is just part of me it's part of what I do it's too hard to stop Let's stop and look at the passage again. We need to notice two things. Two things that change the whole scope of what's going on here. Firstly, notice God's work. I skipped verse 13 before. Verse 13 is very important though. We're going to pick it up partway through verse 12. Continue to work out your salvation with fear and trembling. For it is God who works in you to will and to act in order to fulfill his good purpose. Friends, if you're a Christian, God is working in you. God is working in you to change you, which means you can change. You can become more obedient. You can give up the grumbling and arguing. You can do it because God is working in you. See, in the Christian life, as Christians live, Christianity, it's not a go-it-alone process. I don't know. God works in us. He changes our desires. He changes our actions. And he does this so we can live in ways that please him. It's amazing. It's kind of like a, a push and a pull. So we don't be trying to pull our lives all along in the direction of obedience. And it's hard going and we'll never get there. But do you know what's happening at the same time as we're pulling? God is pushing us along. He's pushing us towards obedience. And he makes sure we'll get there. Maybe not entirely in this life, but we'll get there. We can expect then to become more and more obedient. Not that we can expect it, but we should expect it, actually. We can be confident that we'll change. That we'll become more and more obedient to God. Because God is working in us to do that. To bring about obedience in our lives. To to keep us from grumbling and arguing. And if we can be confident that that's what God is doing, doesn't that give us every incentive to keep trying, to keep pulling ourselves in that direction? Not to give up, to throw my efforts at it. Because that's what God is doing in me as well. It's not too hard because God's at work in you. And secondly, it's not too hard when Jesus is big in our minds. So there was another verse I skipped over before as well. Another thing, in verse 12, I skipped over. How does verse 12 start? Therefore, my dear friends, as you've always obeyed, continue to work at your salvation. Therefore. See, Paul only says this in light of what's come before, in light of what we've already seen about Jesus. It all hinges on what Jesus did. Again, it's the WDJD. What did Jesus do? And what did he do? You see, Jesus' mindset led him to action, led him to live it out in his life. He didn't just think about others, but then he acted on that reality. And notice too that the passage speaks clearly about Jesus' obedience. Jesus was obedient to the point even of death, even of death on a cross. Jesus' obedience knows no bounds. And so it's only in light of Jesus that Paul tells the Philippians to be obedient. It's only in light of Jesus that my own desire for obedience can be renewed. Where my mind is centred on Jesus and sees his obedience, that's where my grumbling becomes less attractive. That's when my, my arguments with my brothers and sisters in Christ, when they become kind of ugly and something that I should avoid. I'm not saying that I downplay any differences I have. It's not to say that I'm never going to feel like I'm going through a rough time. But when I clearly see Jesus and remember his obedience, that's when I'll, I'm more likely to go through my hardship without grumbling. That's when I'll talk about my differences that I have with someone else, but it doesn't end up in argument. See the whole of Philippians, as so far it just hasn't let up, right? Chapter one has been, we've been hearing some pretty big things from God, and we get to chapter two, and it hasn't been any different. We're hearing some big challenges again, putting others first, being united through humility, growing in obedience. Where complaining and arguing is gone. And look, if I'm on my own and trying to do that for myself, it is just too hard. But we're not alone, are we? God is changing us, shaping us to be more obedient. And we're not alone. We see clearly in Scripture here, we see Jesus. When we live our lives in Jesus' presence, when we let Jesus take that central place in our minds, that's when humility and unity and obedience that's when there're real possibilities. So what do we do? In some ways, there's many things we could do to keep Jesus at the center of our minds. But it's just one I want to suggest now. Let's talk about Jesus afterwards. In our conversations with one another, let's talk about Jesus. That helps us put Jesus on the forefront, isn't it? Here's just a few ideas maybe you want to ask someone, what, what do you love about Jesus? What attracts you to Jesus? That might feel a bit awkward, a bit of a heavy question on a Sunday morning, but give it a go. See, see, if you can, see if you can give it a go. Another idea, maybe tell someone, tell someone what you've been reading about Jesus in the Bible this week. Put Jesus on the agenda in your conversations. Another idea, share what it is you like What is your love in your life about following Jesus? Ask someone else how they'd love to see Jesus keep shaping their life. These questions might push our our conversation through an, an awkwardness barrier. But these help us keep putting Jesus at the front and center. And when Jesus is at the front and center of our lives, when our eyes are fixed on him... That's when obedience is possible. That's when our lives will be shaped by Jesus. Why don't we pray now and ask God for help in this. Let's pray. Our Father in heaven, we thank you for Jesus. We thank you that though though he's the ruler of the universe... That he humbled himself, that he became a person, that he lived among us, that he died for us. Father, we thank you that Jesus has so valued us. We thank you that Jesus has been so obedient to you. And so we pray for ourselves. Please help us have Jesus always at the center of our minds. We pray this so that our lives would be different, so that we'd be obedient. We pray this, Father, so that the issues and problems we have amongst ourselves would not overtake us and divide us, but that Jesus would teach us that they're smaller than we might originally think. Father, we pray with thankfulness to knowing that you're in us, working to change us for good, working to change us to be more obedient. So help us throw ourselves at that work you've given us, Father. We pray that our conversations this morning would be filled up with talk about Jesus. We ask this in his name. Amen.